0: persecution. When we hear that word, we think of those, maybe in the Middle East or in China, who are being imprisoned or beheaded for their faith. But where do we seek persecution in America? How about in social circles? Christians are portrayed as freaky, scary, intolerant, inflexible, with holier-than-thou attitudes and against all forms of so-called fun. Yet our two greatest commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor. We often are afraid to speak up about being a Christian because we believe we will be looked down upon, ostracized, or maybe even reprimanded for proselytizing. This is our form of persecution. How then ought we to react? How should we live out our faith? What should be our focus? Where may we find encouragement? Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today, from Liberty Lake Church. This is part one in the new series called, First Peter, Victorious Christian Living Through Suffering. We will look at several scriptures today, so take out your Bible and start by opening it to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1 and follow along with Pastor Shane Fries as he sets the groundwork and begins the study in the session titled, Encouragement Through Adversity.
1: Oh, we almost had a major mistake, didn't we? Didn't take the offering. That was close. Oh, uh, good. You know, I hope... Uh... I hope you know that uh, that that saying, taking a rigid stand on flexibility, uh, we really want to master that. And so, um, you know, when, when things don't go how we planned them, uh, let's let's all agree that we're going to give God a thumbs up and say, "Okay, Lord, so what can we learn? How can we how can we address that and move on?" So um, that's always good. And if we ever do miss it, there's a box back there you can throw stuff in. We've got it all covered, so it's all good. I, you know, I have to share something with you guys this week. We're starting out in, in uh, First Peter. We're actually doing our introduction this morning, and I had grand hopes of getting through, uh, you know, verses one through six. And you'll see that in the bulletins there, we have a lot more scripture than that. We're going to read all of that this morning, just to kind of draw us along. But the reality is, we're not going to get through one through six this morning. But it's okay, because um, Lord willing, I'll be back next week, and we can pick this up, and we'll keep going. Um, but I do have to share with you something. I, I'm suffering a little bit uh, today uh, physically. And uh, for those of you that have heard me whine about it this week, I, I took a little fall a week and a half ago and I hurt some muscles in my back. But the thing that's really traumatizing me today is this thistle that I got from those rose bushes yesterday. It's festering and, and it's really, really painful. I don't know if you guys have ever had anything like this, but this is miserable. miserable. Because when you're trying to hold a cup of coffee in the morning or pour a gallon of milk, uh, it, it just it, it's bothersome. It's absolutely a thorn in my flesh. Now, I, I don't know how many of you as mothers, you guys have probably been, you're masters at dealing with this, aren't you? Uh, at, at the small complaints of children, as, as we have mastered whining about things and coming and crying about thorns. Uh, in our flesh, and and I share that story with you because there, there was probably a point in my life over this uh, since yesterday morning when I uh, acquired this thorn uh, that I'd flicked it and like, ah, the stupid thing. Um, and yet in the text this morning, as we watch what Paul or what Peter's uh, encouraging the believers to, to deal with, he's referencing probably something a little more significant in their experience of pain and suffering than a thorn, and uh, we're going to look at that today. So I'm hoping that I gave you a great contrast from American suffering to what Peter is going to be challenging the believers and encouraging them uh, in their view of God uh, this morning. If you're not there, would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter? I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and, and I appreciate the fact that we all have different translations that we love, so I would encourage you to hang on to the trans, uh, translation you love and continue to read out of that. In fact, it'd be great if you if you occasionally read several others, because it would help you grow in, in the understanding and, and how other people have interpreted or translated certain words. Um, but I've really enjoyed this version as I've worked through some of my uh, Greek words and, and different meanings. It, it's been closely connected to that and yet pretty decent for the reading process. So that's the one I'm using this morning. Um, So if you don't have that and you want to follow along, I think it's up on the screen or it will be or it's in your bulletin as well. Oh, one more really critical thing I have to remind us of. Um, You don't need to pick up your kids before 1115. Joy uh, shared our children's director. She shared that with me last week. She's like, would you uh, give us a little bit more time? You're getting done too quickly. Got to tell you, that's rarely ever happened in my life, that I've had people ask me to preach longer. So what I want to encourage you to do is if we're done before 1115, hang out with your friends and spend some time and then go get your kiddos around then, all right? Okay, public service done, and uh, now now we can get back to that. I told you I would not forget, and I don't want to forget. So 1115, fifteen. First Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents dispersed in Pontus, Galatea, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorruptible, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith which is more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels desire to look into these things. Father, would you guide us and direct us in your word this morning? I pray that you would clean our hearts, clean our ears, and help us to hear and see what you are doing. That you would teach us and cause us to grow according to your will. In your name, amen. I think it's important, obviously, uh, one of the things that we see that Peter is, is uh, reminding him or that he's acknowledging is that the Christians at this day are under persecution, right? And we can see that from his... In fact, he, he qualifies who they are as being people driven from their homes, they're aliens, they're temporary residents in a place that's not their own. Uh, when I think about suffering, when I think about difficulties that I experience, like a thorn in my flesh or a sore muscle... Or what uh, we talked about dents in cars or things that break down. Um, I watched a poor poor guy the other day he's driving down the road lost both wheels on the back of his uh, trailer axle. Like he was, and my heart breaks. My bride and I, as we drove by, we went, "Oh, I remember one of those days." And so we have sympathy for them and empathy because we've experienced some of those things. But when I think about what the Christians of Peter's day are going through. I can't imagine a time in my life where I'm driven, driven from my home, and from my work, and into a place where where I'm not—it's not home for me. It's a place that's foreign to me. I can't—I really have a hard time imagining that. But I think we need to realize that that's who Peter is writing this gospel to. That's the condition that they're in, and it would do us well probably to take a minute and think through what that loss would look like for you and for me. The work we put into our homes. The relationships that we have near us. The family. That for some of these Christians would have abandoned them because of their faith. Can can you imagine with me for just a moment what that would have been like? In my heart, that's a desperate place. uh, One that by God's grace I've never experienced here. And so I'm convicted a little bit about the whining and complaining that I apply myself to in my current circumstances of life. And I think, I should probably readdress my focus. Now that's what's exciting for me in this text. Because what does Peter do for these believers? What does he do? Um, The first thing that we need, we acknowledge that they are under persecution. And then Peter reminds them of a more right view, and it's a heavenly condition. You see how in this in the first two verses, he takes them from where they're at. Temporary residents dispersed, pushed out of their homes, and yet he then quickly draws their attention to God, the Father, who they are in Christ. And, and I love what he does in that how often, how good would it be for us in the midst of a thorn in your flesh uh, to to put our eyes back on the things that are heavenly? The things that transcend the earthly issues that we have that last longer than the physical frailties of the moment. Uh, Some of us were laughing a little bit about being sore from yesterday. How many of you are sore from working yesterday? We're like, oh yeah. (laughs) You know who's uh, not sore? Trevor was so kind to me today. I said, hey bud, are you sore from working yesterday? And he's like, yep, and his arms are going everywhere and he's bouncing all over. I'm like, that's not sore. (laughs) But for whatever reason, he felt like he needed to, you know, commiserate with me just a little bit. I really appreciated his sensitivity in the matter. Our bodies, our physical environment causes us to very quickly and very easily look at our current immediate Feelings, needs, frailties. And yet we as the children of God have a view that's grand beyond measure. And Peter challenges, encourages, and points the faithful Christians of this dispersion to that truth. The first thing that we see that that Peter says is that we are chosen. Now, I recognize, I'm not sure what background you guys have. Please don't panic. We are not going to get into an argument about predestination and free will. If you want to have that discussion with me, come and sit down. Um, I I would love to have that discussion. Today, we're not going to do that. We're going to assume that these believers had not had the opportunity to hear from Calvin. We're going to take for granted that there were no Armenians in this this environment teaching on these truths. In fact, we're going to assume that very few humans have had the opportunity to interpret and give their opinion of the text that we're reading. So imagine a Christian group that didn't have all the biblical tools and all of the the textual aids and all of the opinions, if they were to hear from Peter in the midst of conflict and in the midst of persecution, that he would say to them, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that you have been chosen, selected. Look at what Matthew 22, Jesus gives us a picture into this, Matthew 22, verse 14. And, and I want us to recognize that that uh, in in my own heart and in, in how I uh, wrestle with truth, I believe that there's great value here. And I tend to always go to the side of relationship that convicts my heart. And so when I'm looking at these truths and I recognize how Jesus talks about being chosen, uh, there's, there's some truths that really challenge me, and this is one of them. We're only looking at verse 14, but we have to realize that in Matthew 22, Jesus is giving an illustration of what the gospel of heaven is like. He's illustrating or he's uh, he's giving a picture uh, for his disciples to understand what they should view heaven, the kingdom of heaven coming to this earth, what it's going to be like. And he goes through this wedding feast with a king who has invited all of these people, his guests, and they should show up, but they don't show up. In fact, they're not concerned. They get busy with life and they reject the invitation. And so as the king sending out guests, uh, some of his servants are, are poorly treated and killed. And as the story continues on through verses uh, through uh, that first part of uh, Matthew 22, um, we get down to the to the end of it, and here the attendants have gone out and they've invited everybody. It's no longer just those who were worthy, but it was everyone is invited into this to this feast, good and bad. It says, and as they show up at the very end of this. Uh, the, the, there are there's a person that is not in the proper clothes, and he is set aside. And, and I understand, you guys, there's a whole lot of theology and a great discussion to have around this text. But the point we're going to grab this morning, the challenge for me, was that Jesus then says in verse 14, For many are invited, but few are chosen. Here Peter's reminding his believers that they are Chosen. God the Father, through His foreknowledge, has looked on them. He's not surprised by their circumstances. I I don't know if we really get that. I, I, I know for myself, I'm greatly convicted that there's times I actually respond to God and I'm like, are you paying attention? He's not surprised by us or our circumstances. We don't surprise Him. Because He knows. He's outside of time and He's seen all of these things. That should give us some comfort. And it should cause us to tremble just a little bit. We're not hiding from Him. But our pain and the things that we suffer for the cross are not a surprise. But He says that many are invited but few will be chosen. How how do we... Look at that, and and I want you to jump over to Matthew chapter 7 and be reminded of this. Uh, This principle, uh, for me, the idea of being chosen, sets God in control because it's according to his foreknowledge. It sets him in a place where he is directing our paths, where he is, by his foreknowledge, choosing individuals. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. Then I will answer, announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. When we think about being chosen by God and we think about this story of the kingdom, God knows his children. He knows who he's chosen. And and Peter is reminding the believers, God chose you. He knows your circumstances. He knows who you are. He's in a really, He even knows our heart, uh, which we're going to see in just a second. He knows us, and he chose them. What a great place to be! Do you? Do we live in this life recognizing that truth? If we're His children, we're chosen by Him. We're we're foreknown in a relationship with Him. Do we live that way? Do I take thorns in my thumb with that truth? Do I get up with a sore muscle in my back with that truth? None of you are smiling. Is this hurting just a little bit? I apologize. It's supposed to be putting our eyes up, off of us, and onto him. Because it should change how we live when we know that God knows us this way. That he has chosen us. That he's chosen to be in a relationship with you and with me. What an amazing thing. Do we deserve it? No. And yet he chose his children. That's amazing. That's something we share. That's something that should change how we live. Actually, it should change how we suffer, how we celebrate. Look at Romans chapter eight. It's been it's according to his foreknowledge that he does these things. Um, Romans chapter eight verse twenty six through thirty. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And He who searches the heart knows the Spirit's mindset because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Wow! You know, one of the things that I love about this is that God, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for me when I don't know what to pray. Now, I would encourage, I would challenge us to say that I don't have a problem making requests of the Lord. I regularly give Him advice and ask for his input on my ideas. I spend great deals of time describing for him how much better I would serve him if I was not suffering in my current circumstances. And yet this says that the Spirit intercedes for me because I don't know what to pray. And he prays in accordance with the will of God. Now, I was thinking through this on Mother's Day. I can only imagine the process for a child when they come up and they ask for a particular uh, meal, let's say. Um, I w- was listening to a comedian. He's not; He wasn't a Christian guy, but he was talking about parents. And he said at, at one point in his child rearing, uh, he's trying to get his kids to eat good food because he's a good parent. He wants them to be healthy. And by the end of the discussion, he's just wiping the broccoli across their lips, <laughs> hoping that it would result in some kind of health. Now, as a good parent, what do we do when our children ask, When they... well, I'm a little convicted. What what does my bride do for me when I ask for my favorite food? Normally there's vegetables involved as well, because she cares about me. But as a parent, when a child comes and says, I don't want that. I want something else. We look at them and we say, that's great, Johnny. (laughs) And as soon as you finish all the good stuff mom's given you, you can have a little bit of that bad stuff, right? Because why? We know what's best for them. In theory, I get it. We're parents. We make mistakes. But we've got a pretty good idea that they shouldn't be eating Snickers candy bars for every meal. Okay, if that's news to you, I want to encourage you to schedule some time with me and the elders, and we're going to pray for you guys. And I saw my son start to quiver back there just a little bit. So... We do what's best for our children to the best of our ability. Here, here uh, Paul is challenging. He's reminding us that when the Spirit is interceding for us, he's, he's going on behalf of God's will for what's best for us. Now, when you think about this in the contrast of suffering for the cross, you have to take your eyes off of the immediate earthly things. We have to recognize that God's doing something in an eternal capacity. He's not specifically tied to this physical moment. He's going, this is best for you later. Oftentimes as parents, we make decisions saying, this is best for you later. I realize you don't feel like it's best for you now, but it really is best for you later. I believe that God designed children specifically that way. So that we could see how He cares for us spiritually. Aren't we thrilled that that was the design of kids? Praise the Lord! Do you know God that way? Is this God this for God with foreknowledge and that knows knows? the beginning and the end. He's not tied to time. He looks at your life as a chosen child of God and He says, yeah, I'm going to do what's best for you today. Is that how we see Him? Or are we complaining regularly about the thorn that's in the skin and so focused on that, that that we're not seeing God for the heavenly loving God that He is can you imagine that, this, that these poor believers who were exiled from their homes and Peter's saying, God knows what you're going through. God the Father chose you. Get your eyes off of this. Get them raised up to heaven. What does he say that we're chosen for? He says we're chosen and, and I believe it's to be set apart as the church, to be, to be set apart in the process of being made holy. But I love what he does in this text. He says set apart for what? What is he what does he give in the text it's in your Bibles still there. First Peter we're only on verse two. set apart for obedience. Wow there's a bad word in our economy today right? look at uh, second the last, uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 but we must always thank God for you brothers loved by the Lord because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth he called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ therefore brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught each uh, either by our message or by our letters the Holy Spirit, God's work, God the Father has chosen us to be set apart through this process of sanctification. So, not only is He saving us, but he's He's actually transforming our lives from what we are and making us into the image of His Son, causing us to become more and more like Him. Now, the reality is, my heart, as much as my head likes it, there's times my heart doesn't Because that requires me to die. And so when God's doing what's best for me, many, many times it's uncomfortable. (sighs) Are you feeling encouraged yet? Yay, God! And yet when we pull our eyes off of our human condition, when we pull our eyes off of the immediate, we go, "But, but that's a God that is outside of time. The God of the Bible is preparing us for what He's designed us to be in a relationship with Him for eternity. And that's His focus. And I believe that in the midst of our lives, in the midst of the things that we suffer with and the challenges that we experience, we can find great hope when we realize that that's the God that we serve. That this is the purpose of the God that we serve to take us through a process of, of, of being sanctified, of being turned into, set apart, and transformed into His church, His children, in the likeness of His Son. And He says that we're set apart for obedience. And I love this because this is not a New Testament thing, although we looked at First John last week and talked about the idea that we would know that we are His if we walk like Him. Jesus says that if we love Him, we will obey Him. But I want to show you something It's all the way back in 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament that obedience is super important. Can you imagine that? God thinks obedience is a big deal. Look at how big a deal it is to him. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Now I got to tell you, this is the story. Elimelech was one of the bad kings, and Saul and the Israelites were sent out to wipe them out. They were supposed to kill everything, to wipe them completely out. They were to take nothing, none of the livestock, none of the possessions. They were to completely destroy them. And right before this verse, Saul's beginning to explain to Samuel But, Samuel, we kept the best of all of their livestock, the best of what they had that was set for destruction. We kept that to give it to God. We were going to follow the instructions you gave us, but we had a better idea. Because what God was going to do was waste all of this stuff. And we would it makes more sense that we keep it for Him. I'm really convicted by that story. I don't know if you've ever found yourself going, well, yeah, Lord, I know that's what you said. But that was before today. I mean, have you seen the the world in the way that it is today? Are you aware of the current cultural uh, uh, relevance of your words? We we take God from being outside of time and we try and shove His ideas, His principles into the box of now. And the amazing part is He doesn't fit. But we work really hard at boxing Him into that. That's what Saul and, and the Israelites did at this time. And look at what... Look at what God says through Samuel to Saul at this time. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, verse 22. When Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Now, I want to stop right here. I don't know how many of you have spent time reading through the Old Testament, but was the Lord, uh, was He particular about a sacrificial system? Huh? Have you read? You got to go back and read the Old Testament. He took that very seriously. This was a big deal to the Israelites. It was a big, big deal. And yet, here Samuel says this Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look. To obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. I think one of the things that I struggled with growing up in the church was that my view of salvation, my view of the purpose of God, Was to save me. Was to keep me from hell and put me in heaven. And I believe that's part of the process. But I think there's more than that. I believe that what we see from the word of God is that not only has he set us apart for salvation, but also for obedience. For a life lived on this earth in pursuit of him. Now not perfection, I get it. I get it. Uh, We shared that with in the search committee process, I shared with the search committee and, and at our Pollock, if you guys hire me, you're adding to the problems of this church. It's the truth. We're human. We make mistakes. We struggle with these things. And yet what God has called us to is to follow Him in the midst of this. To take our eyes off of the current things that we're suffering with and look at Him. To trust in Him. And to believe that what He's doing is the best for us for eternity. Even the God who is the God of today, but the God of the Old Testament, believed that obedience was more important than sacrifice, and the sacrificial system was a big deal. Brothers and sisters, I believe that we have to be very, very careful how we take the Word of God. Because I think there are many, many times where we've read things and we've developed a process of taking in a ton of information without obedience following. And we learn a lot of things about scripture, but it doesn't change how we live. And we should take that very, very seriously. The last thing Eternal Redemption. I, I love this process. Um so, not only are we chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, but we're set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. What an amazing truth. Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 11 through 14 says this. Now, the, the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the Holy of Holies. Once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Not only are we sprinkled by the blood in purification, but it's in this process that we are set to follow the example of Christ. He as our high priest. He is the one who purifies and cleanses us, gives us the example, and sets out ahead of us to follow him. So here's a suffering people driven from their homes. And Peter says to them, Chosen ones, according to the knowledge of God the Father, who are set apart by the Spirit for obedience and cleansed by the sprinkling of the blood. Jesus has paid the way. Jesus was the sacrifice that has opened this door. If we continue on in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, I'm sorry about that, Ten nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has inaugurated for us, through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not, straying, excuse me, not staying away from our meeting as some habitually do, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I think Peter is challenging the believers at this text to recognize what God has done through Christ. Do you see the plan? Do you see the hope of the gospel here? You are called. You are set aside. You have been purified by God's sacrifice, by Jesus himself, his blood, has set you right before God. And this is the relationship that you stand faithfully in hope in the midst of all of our suffering, all of their suffering. And I believe we have the blessing of more and more text and more scripture, and we have the opportunity to look at our current situation, our current struggles in this life, our current tendency to put our eyes on the physical and the immediate and to confess at times that that may be what we're worshiping and to lift our eyes up to a heavenly God who's established all of these things. Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for you and for me. His blood paid the price. God the Father is directing our steps, our days, even the dispersion of His own people. We have an eternal hope, which we're going to look at next week. This is just the opening volley. Oh, and by the way, may grace and peace multiply to you. I love that he starts out with, you're the dispersed, you are driven out of your homes, and he ends with, after this little thing about being chosen, set apart, and sprinkled, oh, and may grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's a point at which this seems to completely transform how they view suffering. How do we take the rest of our week? How do we take the rest of this day And lift our eyes from whatever current circumstances we're in. Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever those things are. How do we take the rest of our day and say, God, I I want to see you in this. I want to readjust my focus so that I'm not stuck on the physical. I'm not stuck on the temporary. I'm not stuck on the immediate. But I see you for who you are. And I recognize my life in light of that truth. I believe that that's what Peter is doing for the believers that are exiled all across the region that he is sending this letter to. And I believe that we can be encouraged in the same way. What is God doing in your life? What area of trial and conflict are you experiencing that maybe God is saying, my child, this is what's best for you. Would you trust me with it? I don't want us to miss this. In the end, end of Hebrews there, part of part of us being God's people and part of us having access to the throne is, is us caring for one another as well. How are we doing on that? I got to tell you, that's probably the hardest part about doing church, being the church, is putting up with other people, Right? Seriously, if it could just be you and God somewhere alone, you would not even realize how annoying you are. We would never know how messed up and how how off we were. But because of his design, he slapped us all together and said, and by the way, my spirit is going to help you do this in unity and love with one another, and you're going to shine to the rest of the world. Man, can we trust God even with that? Can we trust Him with, with even the combination of this body of who's here and who we get to wrestle with and learn together with? According to the text, we should be able to. I think there's times where I might have to repent and change my heart to get there. But we could Would you pray with me? Father, thank You. Thank You for Your grace, Your love, Your mercy. God, I thank You that You have chosen us that You have set us apart to be holy and that through Your Spirit You are doing that work and training us to obedience. Thank You, God, for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who by His blood has brought eternal redemption to all Your children. Father, I do pray that You would help us to turn our eyes to You, that we would see following You And living in obedience to you is our primary. Our primary objective on this earth. Not comfort, not possessions, not preferences. But that it would be living in obedience to you. So teach us, God, how to die to ourselves. To glorify and exalt you. And to trust you in the midst of the trials. That can so easily, so easily throw us off track. In your name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLakeChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, We appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.